I was saying to Dirk just then, that felt like the longest five minutes I've experienced in my life. <laughs> I'm very nervous. Again, hi to those who are here today. My name is Richard. I'm one of the members here at Southern Grace Church. And it's weird because, like you saw before, I'm normally up here to make announcements or pray or to do something else. But today I get the privilege to stand before all of you and preach the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that is. And honestly, I had a few things to tell Riley here, but he's not here and he's not here to protect himself from all the stuff I'm going to say. So I don't know if I should say it or not. Yes, I should say it. Here we go. <laughs> well, the journey of me actually standing up here is a result of the persistence and stubbornness of one man. His name's Riley Spring, right? Because he continued to ask me, hey, Richard, do you want to preach? And I said, no. But he kept asking me to do it. But really, honestly, I just want to take this moment to firstly thank the Lord God for giving me that opportunity, but also for Riley's persistence, because without his persistence, I wouldn't be here to share the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. You know, this may be my first and maybe my last chance to preach, but I'm praying that it would glorify God. Um, so today we're going to read parts of Matthew 6. We're going to start from verse 1 to 6, and then we're going to jump over to verse 16 to 18, the middle part of the Lord's Prayer. I think Riley, well, I hope Riley will preach next week. So why don't you all join me in opening God's Word to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, um, we've, got some, we, we've got a few Bibles at the back that our chief steward can give to you as a gift from us to you. Um, so please let us know, put your hand up. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen up there. So let's read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, and then we'll go from verse 16 to 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by others, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And we go on to verse 16. And when you fast, do not be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your words will be planted on good soil today. Father, we pray that your words, that is sharper than a double-edged sword, would pierce the hearts of those who are listening. And Father, we pray most and foremost that I would make much of you, that you would become more and I would become less. 
Lord, may you be glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, I really, really dislike cats. I, I literally, I really hate cats. And some of you guys are probably thinking, what, this guy hates cats? Like, get him off the stage. I don't want to listen anymore. But really, I really, really dislike cats. And one of the reasons why I really dislike cats is because I have a cat allergy. You know, I'd see a cat five meters away from me and already, right, my throat is starting to tingle. And, you know, my nose will start getting runny. My eyes will get itchy. And the worst of all is that sometimes when it gets really bad, my breathing gets really bad, right? I start getting wheezy. You know, I really, really, really dislike cats, you know? And when I go over to people's houses, if they kind of warn me in advance and say, hey, we've got a cat, I just, I just feel so loved because they're warning me in advance, right? You know, I don't know if you guys have been to our pastor's house, Riley. He actually has a cat in his pl- at his place. And not at his front gate, but if you look at the gate next to that door on the shed, there's actually a sign. And on the sign, it says this, beware of the cat, right? Beware of the cat, right? For me, that's just like, I feel so loved by my pastor. I feel like that is the pinnacle of pastoral care, right? (laughs) You know, in the same way in this passage, we read and we see a similar warning. The first thing Jesus says in this passage to us is a warning. He says, hey, beware, be careful. But at the same time, Jesus wants to teach us something here today. So friends, as we unpack the sermon today, there's going to be times where we might might feel a little uncomfortable. Like, you know, is Richard calling me a Pharisee? Actually, is, is Richard calling me a sinner? You know, rather than take offense to this, I want to remind us of the heart of Christ that is trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach you something. He's telling us to beware. The question is, beware of what? Beware of religious hypocrisy. You know, today I've titled my sermon, Practicing Righteousness for an Audience of One. And if there's one thing that I'd love for you to take from this passage is this. Religious hypocrisy desires to glorify itself, but the truly righteous heart desires to glorify God. I'll say it again. Religious hypocrisy desires to glorify self, but the truly righteous heart desires to glorify God. You know, I've unpacked this sermon using three points. The first point I'm going to make is what is religious hypocrisy? The second point, the root and fruit of religious hypocrisy And I'll end with my third and final point, redemption from religious hypocrisy. So let's just jump straight into the first point. What is religious hypocrisy? You know, the word hypocrisy or hypocrite comes from the original Greek word, and that means actor. So hypocrite can be applied to anyone or anybody who uses this world as a stage on which he can act or perform. A hypocrite actually puts aside his true identity and instead he puts a mask on and becomes somebody else. You know, in movies, there are heaps of hypocrites. In movies, there are hypocrites everywhere. You know, one of my all-time favorite is Denzel Washington. You know, I think he's one of the greatest actors in my opinion. And when he does so well, we applaud him. And we applaud him because the intent to act 
is known by the audience. He's not trying to fool anyone. That's, that's what he's trying to do. But the problem, problem with religious hypocrisy is that the intent is to deliberately deceive others through an act. You know, you're trying to trick people into believing you're something that you're not. In this passage we read, we read today, Jesus kind of gives us three illustrations, three examples of this religious hypocrisy, and I want to unpack that with you today. So why don't we jump to verse 2, the first one. It says this, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. You know, during those times, giving to the poor, giving to the needy was an important part of Jewish social practice. You know, there were literally sounds of trumpets that were blown at the temple, which was a call for the citizens to come and give. You know, and people would start making their way to the synagogue. And, you know, the thing about the synagogue was it was a place of worship, but the synagogue was also the center of life for the Jewish people. It was a public place. It was a crowded place. You know, if I'd liken it to anything, I'd say probably Parramatta Square pre-COVID, you know, a lot of people running through that area, right? It was very, very crowded. You know, what a great opportunity for someone, for a Pharisee to put on his flashy clothes with his bags of gold and make his way to the synagogue. And as he makes his way to the synagogue, right, people are watching him in this crowded place and saying, wow, look at that generous man. Praise that man. But of course, Jesus is not fooled by the Pharisee's act. In fact, Jesus calls them out and says, hypocrite. Friends, can you see the deception here? Can you see the mask that the Pharisee has put on? You know, he's not really there giving to the needy to glorify God. He's there to glorify himself. You know, there's an outward act of worship without really worshipping God. Again, in verse 5, it says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Again, right? What an opportunity for some prayer performances to occur here. You know, for devout Jews, they prayed three times a day. And these prayers would, would generally occur, again, as the sound of the trumpet. It was a reminder for their daily afternoon temple sacrifices. And it was a sign for them to all come and pray. You know, it doesn't say specifically in this passage, but this is what I imagine. A Pharisee looking at his watch, right? But... I don't know if they had watches back then. Maybe it's a sundial. And he looks at the sundial and he's like, it is nearly time for prayer. And so he makes his way to this crowded street towards the synagogue, as it says in the passage. And all of a sudden, the trumpet blows. And the Pharisee goes to this high place and he yells out, Dear Heavenly Father, may you be glorified babble, 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 on and on, praying this extravagant prayer. And people are watching him again in this crowded place and thinking, wow, what a holy man. Wow, look at his prayer. Praise that Pharisee. But of course, again, Jesus is not fooled. He points them out and he says, hypocrite. Friends, can you see the deception here? Can you see the mask that the Pharisee has put on? You know, he might be praying and saying, God, glory, but that's not what he wanted. Instead, he really wanted self-glory. He wanted the praise of man. 
there's an outward act of worship without really worshiping God. Now, the last example Jesus gives is in verse 16. And it says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Again, fasting was a familiar Jewish practice in those times. You know, I'm not going to go into the details of what fasting is and why we do it, but basically fasting at that time was strictly abstaining from food, and that could be for a long time. You know, fasting was a regular thing for the Pharisees. In fact, in Luke 18 verse 12, it talks about a Pharisee who fasts twice a week. But again, the Pharisee, they're making it obvious for others to see that he's fasting. But of course, Jesus is not full and he calls a hypocrite out again. He says, hypocrite, can you see the deception here, friends? Can you see the mask that this Pharisee has put on? You know, he wants to be seen by others as a holy person through fasting. But really, he's not seeking the glory of God. He's actually seeking the glory of himself. Again, there's an outward act of worship without really worshiping God. You see, in all three scenarios, the Pharisees, the intention was to deceive. It was an act to give glory to themselves. It was all about me, me, me. Praise me. Shine the light on me. And the Pharisees, they succeeded in doing that. They succeeded in deceiving people who was watching them. But they did not deceive Jesus. Jesus sees the intent of their hearts. You know, the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes this. He says, Take heed that ye do not your righteousness before men. God, he sees it all. He knows your heart. Other people do not. You can deceive them and you can persuade them that you are quite selfless. But God knows your heart. God knows your heart when it's full of hypocrisy. You cannot fool him. You know, and as I say these things, some of you guys might be thinking, well, Richard, really? Like praying, fasting, and giving to the needy, surely there's nothing wrong with that, right? In fact, they're great things, aren't they? They're commendable things. Shouldn't we be encouraging people to pray, fast, and give more? Surely there's nothing wrong with showing others my good deeds. In fact, in Matthew 5.16, doesn't it say that as salt and light of the world... We need to be seen by others. Well, let's read it. Matthew 5, 16, it says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Is Jesus contradicting himself here? It says, let them see your good works. Let them see my good works. I should be showing them my good works, not hiding it from them, right? But as you can see from that verse at the end, what does it say? It says so that you may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, can you see the intent of this verse? It's to give glory to your Father in heaven. But what does a religious hypocrite do? He does it not to glorify God. He does it to glorify himself. It's all an act, right? And that, brothers and sisters, is religious religious hypocrisy. It's when religious people, believers like you and me, do good works, acting like we're doing it for the glory of God, but instead we're really doing it for the glory of ourselves. Friends, religious hypocrisy 
desires to glorify self, but the truly righteous heart desires to glorify God. Well, now we know what religious hypocrisy is, and just remember, it's us that Jesus is talking to, and he's told us to be where. So keeping that in mind, why do we act this way? Like, why do we act like a hypocrite? And that leads me to my second point, the root and fruit of religious hypocrisy. You know, why are our hearts prone to praise men rather than praising God? You know, why is it that our desire in our heart is for self-glory rather than for God glory? You know, I think to answer this question, we kind of need to go all the way back to the beginning, to the beginning when the two people, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. Because you see, why do you think Adam and Eve ate from the tree in which God told them not to eat from? Well, one reason is because rather than their lives being centered around glorifying God, they opted to live lives that was glorifying themselves. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, 4, Satan says this to Eve. He says, God knows that when you eat of it, the tree from the fruit from the tree, your eyes will be opened and listen to this, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see that? The heart of wanting to be like God in his full glory. I want that. I want to be God of my life. I want the glory, and that tastes good. So they disobeyed God, ate from the tree. And there is the start of religious, the root of religious hypocrisy. It's our sinful hearts which we've inherited from Adam and Eve. You know, I recently read an article by John Piper. It was titled this, The Essence and Root of All Sinning. And in that article, he writes this, Sin does not love to glorify God. Sin does not love to thank God. Sin hates glorifying God and thanking God. That's what ungodly meant in Romans 1 verse 18. In ungodliness and unrighteousness, he said, we suppress the truth, namely the truth that God is infinitely worthy of glory and thanks from our hearts. Sin hates that and therefore suppresses that truth. Sin wants nothing, absolutely nothing to do with glorifying God. It's sin. It's the filthiness of sin inside of us. You see, the Pharisees, they may have looked clean on the outside, but inside they were full of sin. And we see glimpses of this in today's passage, but Jesus spells it out clearly again in Matthew 23, verse 27 to 28. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors, right? He says, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, friends, the root of religious hypocrisy is the sin inside of us. And you know, the unfortunate thing about sin is that it's our natural disposition. You know, we have a natural tendency to sin. Right from the moments our heart takes the first beat in our mother's womb, we are tainted by sin. 
So who's free from this? Who's free from this? The reality is, no one is. You know, Jesus might as, might as well have said this, Woe to you, Richard Song, hypocrite! For you are like a whitewashed tomb, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within is full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you, Richard, are out, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Brothers and sisters, we are no better than the Pharisees. We are guilty of hypocrisy, whether we like it or not, because of the sin that dwells within us. So if sin is the root of religious hypocrisy, then what is it producing? What's the fruit of it? Well, we can talk about a few things, but in light of today's passage, I just want to highlight two things. And the first thing is the fruit of religious hypocrisy or self-glory is this, that you're not really loving or serving anyone, let alone loving yourself through this. You know, let me elaborate a little, you know. What's others looking at me going to do for myself or you? As I practice my righteousness, if the ultimate goal is for people to praise me, how does that serve you? How does that serve you? How does that serve me? Because the reality is I'm not glorious. You're not glorious. In fact, the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. You know, glorifying ourselves is not going to bring anyone gain. In fact, when we do that, we distract ourselves and others from the only one, the only one who is worthy of glory. In Matthew 23, 13, Jesus says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Do you see what self-glory does? We're hindering people from the kingdom of heaven because we are leading people to glorify ourselves rather than glorifying God. It, it, oh, what was that? But it also prevents others from seeing what the psalmist experienced in Psalm 16. It says, God make known to me the path of life. In his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, the result of self-glory is that we're robbing people of the path of life and the fullness of joy that can only be found in God. You know, what else is the fruit of religious hypocrisy or self-glorification? Let me show you, okay? Well done. Hashtag blessed. You know, a few Instagram pics. I don't, I don't know. How do people acknowledge other people in their good works these days? You know, whatever that may be, that is all you're going to get. How do I know? Because in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 16 of today's passage, Jesus says exactly that. You'll be praised by others, truly I say to you, that you have received your reward in full. Well done, right? That is it. And some of you might be thinking, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, really. The applause of man is a good thing, isn't it? And I agree, to some extent, yes, it is a good thing to have the applause of man. But in comparison to the reward we could have received from God, you have completely shortchanged yourself, incredibly. You've actually robbed yourself. You've robbed yourself from God's praise to you. 
You see, these three examples of giving to the needy, praying and fasting are used by Jesus because at that time, they were some of the most virtuous acts by religious leaders. So church, friends, what are your most important good works? You know, what types of religious acts or deeds do you do in which you must guard your heart from self-glory? I think as a church that has planted a year and a bit ago, we need to be vigilant with this, you know. When we talk to our friends or families, it's so easy to boast of our numbers. Like, you know, we're a church plant, but look how much we've grown as a church. And inside, our intent is the glorification of our church or myself rather than God, right? You know, we can, you know, as we, as we stand for worship or as we clean the chairs after service and stack the chairs away, as we serve in kids, as we do coffee, projector sound, what's in our hearts? Do we seek the praise of man rather than the praise of God? Perhaps it looks a little different. Perhaps it's through evangelism. You know, look at the lives I've brought to Christ. You know, I've done Christianity explored with this many people. What's the intent of your heart? Is it for your own glory? Perhaps it's through discipleship. Look how much this brother's grown. Look how much this sister's grown. And in your heart, you're saying, I'm the mentor. You know, all glory to me, not to God. Or maybe it's your deep theological understanding. You know, look how much I know about the Bible. In your heart, it's praise me, not God. You know, I don't know what it looks like for you, but where are you steering people away from the glory of God? And where are you shortchanging yourself from receiving God's reward? Religious hypocrisy, friends, desires to glorify self, but the truly righteous heart desires to glorify God. So church, clearly we need to be redeemed, right? We need to be saved from this. And that leads me to my third and final point, redemption from religious hypocrisy. So friends, then what does the righteous life look like? You know, how do I perform my acts of righteousness that brings glory to God? And I think Jesus is the greatest example to look at right now. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 4, verse 5. But before I go there, I want to set the scene. Jesus, he's fasted in secret on his own for 40 days and 40 nights. And he is very, very hungry. And Satan sees that opportunity and he pounces on that opportunity, right? And the part that I want to talk to you about is from the three temptations that Satan did to Jesus. I want to talk to you about the second one. Read with me. It says this. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, Jesus, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then, Jesus, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. You know, before I continue reading, can you see that? Can you see? Satan, right? Sin personified. What does he say? What does he say? He says, if you then will worship me, praise me, glorify me, the root of sin, Satan right there. And if we continue reading, Jesus responds this way. 
He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You know, Satan offers Jesus everything. You know, if you had everything in the world, if you had what Satan was offering you, I guarantee you people will be praising you. People will be glorifying you. But why? Why didn't Jesus take up the offer? Well, as he responds, he knew, Jesus knew that God is the only one worthy of worship. He knew that God is the only one worthy of glory. You want to live that righteous life? Seek the glory of God. You see, Jesus knows of Satan's dirty tactics. Jesus knew the temptations that Satan will throw at each and every one of us as we do our acts of righteousness. And so Jesus, in his love and his care for us, he warns us and he says, hey, my sheep, beware. And he teaches us something. In today's passage, Jesus says that when you give to the needy, when you pray and when you fast, how do you do it? He says, do them in secret. And Jesus isn't saying this because he's against group settings or corporate settings. No, he's he's saying that because he knows the indwelling sin within us. He knows that we are prone to self-glory. So he calls us to do it in secret. You see, the righteous heart only has an audience of one. The only one the righteous wants to please through their acts is God. And the only reward that they want to receive is from God alone. So friends, when you're doing your acts of righteousness, do it in secret. Knowing that God promises that he sees you in your secret place. You know, King David wrote in Psalms 139, verse 7 to 8, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. You know, the righteous one knows that the Lord is watching wherever you are. And the righteous one is completely satisfied with that. Why? Because the audience of one The only one that he wants to show his acts is God and God alone. Also, the righteous life seeks the reward that God gives, not what man gives. Did you know that we read a total of nine verses today? And in those nine verses, Jesus says the word reward seven times. And I'm done with that. I like that because I love rewards. In fact, you know, my kids love rewards. I love also to give my kids rewards when they do good things. In fact, Jesus talks about that even earthly fathers, even the worst fathers like to give good gifts to their children. They don't give their child a snake when he asks for fish. No. How much more will our heavenly father in heaven give good gifts to us if even the earthly fathers give good gifts to their children? How much more will our heavenly father give good rewards to us? And you know, in this passage, God promises that there is going to be a reward. There are many rewards that actually God gives to his children. But based on the context of today's passage, this is my guess, right? I think the reward is praise to you from God himself. From God, for God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
for God to say, righteous one, inherit the kingdom of heaven I have prepared for you. The righteous one delights in God's reward, and that's the only reward he wants to attain. But friends, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. We have failed to act as per Jesus' instructions many times. You know, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say there are so many times where I've sought the glory of myself rather than the glory of God in my acts of righteousness. You see, God looks at our acts of righteousness and he calls us to a standard. You know what that standard is? Perfection. He wants every single act of righteousness that you do be for the glory of God and for God's reward alone. Every single one of them. He wants perfection. He calls all of us to perfection. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you closely examine the sermons that were preached in the last few weeks, there's a common theme. There's a few themes going on, but here's the common theme that I want to point out. The common theme is that Jesus calls us to a life of perfection. You know, we are called to be salt and light at this high standard of perfection. We are called to obey the laws perfectly, sinless, to have this inside-out form of righteousness. We're called for a greater righteousness. It says in the Bible, it says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. He is calling us to that standard. And today, as we read today's passage, he also is calling us to that same level of standard. When you do your acts of righteousness, do it all for the glory of God. That's the bar that is set for us. But friends, we've come to know and understand that this perfect standard, it's unattainable. We can't reach it. It's impossible. Why? Because we're tainted by the sin from our heart, from the start. But friends, I want to tell you that the beauty of the gospel is this, that God already knows that. He already knows that you can't reach that standard of perfection. In fact, he rebukes those who think they can. You know, the Pharisee, Pharisees who always put themselves up on a high place of recognition, who always thought that they had their life all together, he rebukes them. And instead, Jesus calls for the people who know that their only hope is in him. You know, he calls for the man that says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. He calls for the one that says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He calls for the one that says, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, because I can't create the clean heart in me, but you can. He calls for the one with a broken spirit. And he says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And when you approach Jesus in that way, what does Jesus say in response? He says this, Blessed are you. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, blessed are you who can keep 230 commandments out of the possible 240. 
No, but he calls for the one that says, Lord Jesus, I failed to keep any of those commandments. God, I need you. You are my only hope. Well, church, I want to remind you today that the only hope we have really is in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ that covers a multitude of sin. In 1 John 1.9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All our unrighteous acts where we've glorified ourselves rather than, rather than God. He says if we confess it to Jesus, all our sins wiped clean, the dirt inside clean. This is true for you today. Jesus gives you new mercies today, right now. And I want to remind you that, the, that Christ died on the cross for your sinful heart problem, not just for your past and present, but for your future ones too. And because of that, because of what he's done, we, my friends, are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Friends, self-glory and self-righteousness is a characteristic of yourself that is of the old self, the old life, the new self. The new creation that you are in Christ is completely different. Why? Because we now get to glorify God in our acts of righteousness. So God, when he looks at you, he does not see you as a hypocrite. He does not see the sin inside you anymore, but instead he sees you as righteous. In 2 Corinthians verse 25, 21, it says this, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ alone, we might, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, isn't that just amazing news? Like, isn't that mind-blowing? That in, the st in our state of religious hypocrisy, God looks at us and says, you are forgiven. He says, you are my child. And can you see the transformation that happens only through Christ? What is now the root and what is now the fruit? Well, the root of sin that once conquered our lives, now completely paid for by the cross of Christ, and now the root in your life has been replaced. It's the righteousness of Christ himself. Sin has no dominion over you anymore. Why? Because you are now Christ's. And the new fruit that you produce is the desire to glorify God alone in your secret place and the desire for God's reward and his alone. And all of this, all of this only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Friends, you really want to fight religious hypocrisy? Look to Christ, our risen Savior, who defeated death and sin. He is the only way. Remember, friends, religious hypocrisy desires to glorify self, but the truly righteous heart desires to glorify God. Now, I feel like I could end it right here, to be honest, but I've got a bit more time. So I just want to quickly give you one 
practical application for what this looks like day to day. And I've spoken to you briefly about it, and here it is. It's Jesus' call to be where? You know, as you practice your righteousness, be on guard. He doesn't say don't do them, but he tells us, hey, my children, my sheep, be careful. Be where? Church, let's obey this call and be where? So next time, next time you're up to serve, before you go, remind yourself, beware, not for my glory, but for God's glory. You know, when you're serving your family, remind yourself again, beware, not for the praise of man, but for the praise of God. You know, as you try and be salt and light in your workplace, remind yourself again, beware, do your acts to glorify God and not me. And as you plan to fast, as you plan to pray or give to the needy, tell yourself, beware. Give glory to God rather than taking it for yourself. To end, friends, which spectator matters most to you? Is it the earthly or is it the heavenly? Is it men or is it God? Whose glory matters more to you, yours or God's? Because, friends, religious hypocrisy, and Raleigh just came in, and so I'm going to give you my tagline to finish off, which you can remember. (laughs) Religious, friends, religious hypocrisy desires to glorify self, but the truly righteous heart desires to glorify God. And how are we made righteous? by the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that in our state of religious hypocrisy, that you would send your only Son to die for us, that in our state of sinfulness, that you have cleansed us by the blood of your son, Jesus, and that we are saved only through him. We thank you, God, that we can glorify you, that we could praise you and not ourselves in our acts of righteousness. Lord, we pray that these words that have been preached will be planted on good soil today. May you take all the glory today. In your name we pray. Amen.